Tom Gerhardt and Dan Provost are the guys behind Studio Neat. On this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, product design, and all of the ups and downs that come with running a small business. I'm Mike Hurley, and this is Thoroughly Considered. Fancy guys for your wire profile? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got a wired profile. No big deal. Whatever. No big deal. Why are you guys so sad in the photos? Uh, it's funny. We they uh, they took lots of photos where we're smiling, but they didn't use those. I my guess is just because they. It's funny. I think that's kind of wired style a little bit to to have things be a little bit serious and stuff. So I don't know. That's maybe why. But yeah, very serious. Yeah, we are. Why so serious? Uh, Although I can see a, a twinkle in Dan's eye. Just made the picture, <laughs> that's what I was made, going made the picture real big. I was trying to do blue steel, but I didn't really pull it off. <laughs> it was just interesting to me. It's like I'm reading the profile. And I'm like, why are they so sad? I see your microphone in the background there, Dan, too. Yeah, and several people pointed out the uh, nearly collapsing shelf in the background. Which oh, I, I spotted that. I was terrified. Which I promptly fixed after. <laughs> I was tired of so many people pointing it out to me, so I, I fixed it the next day. I just imagine one day we'd be recording and we'd just hear this sound of all these books tumbling down on your head. Yeah, I mean, it's literally on top of my computer. So. <laughs> the color coding, though, man. That is a real thing. Yeah, I, I stopped doing that, too. It's a little... Uh, oh, that looks great. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something. <laughs> it's a <the> whole thing <laughs> it's a little too precious yeah i guess I gave, it, I, gave, I gave it a solid try but uh i i couldn't live with it i love the difference though right like there's a picture of you and you've got your color-coded books and it's like a nice standing desk and then tom is just like in a garage with a 3d printer <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. here's the difference between us yeah and it's funny because uh, like right, right before the wired stuff, or maybe after. I guess after we also had like another photo shoot with a different um, thing, and so like before all that, I kind of like cleaned up and kind of niced up my office a little bit more because uh, Dan always has the nicer office, and then mine was just kind of like a trash hole. Uh, but I, I kind of made it a little bit better, but yeah, it's, it's still not near as fancy. I got too much junk laying around. Well, it still looks like junk that makes you do your work, though. Yeah, but it's still just a lot of stuff. It's like, oh, two sewing machines. Oh, like die-cutting machines. It's just like all this crap. Mm-hmm. So how did this, this wired profile come to be? Because it's a pretty big piece. Is it just online? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be in the magazine. Uh, I don't actually know how it came to be. David Pierce just emailed us out of the blue. And I'm guessing he, you know, kind of knew of us just vaguely from years past and past Kickstarters and stuff. And then I think maybe the remote stand thing, like, kind of jogged his memory and he was kind of looking for a story for whatever reason and it just kind of popped into his head. So I think it was just kind of serendipitous and a little bit random. It's a pretty cool person to be written up by, though. Like, David, he's like the senior tech guy there, isn't he? now i think yeah yeah he's really nice so yeah he came down uh to austin i think he was gonna be in town and so he came down um in 
what was like October, Dan, or something? Like a while ago. Yeah, October, November. And we had lunch with them at the Salt Lick, which is kind of near my house, a really good barbecue place in Austin. And um, yeah, and we just kind of chatted for a while. And then he came over to both of our houses just to kind of see where we work and stuff. And that was it. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, this is like, this is will happen, but it may take a while. So we kind of knew it would be some months probably before it came out. Um, so yeah, and then it just came out. So it's cool. Um, can, can I go through some of my favorite quotes? Sure. <laughs> Provost and Gerhardt built a business with two standing desks, two iMacs, and a 3D printer. It is kind of crazy to think of it when you boil it down to that, but I guess that is all it was, right? Yeah, and we didn't even have the 3D printer for years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's I, I think that's the one thing that um, is unique about us is that like everything is kind of virtual. I mean, we definitely make physical prototypes, but we, you know, we really if we were forced to only have computers and be in a coffee shop, like we could still run the business, like it would still work. Um, so it is kind of cool, and I think it just speaks to the age we're living in, where there's all these kind of services that exist on the internet that kind of enable us to do what we want to do. But um, yeah, it's uh, it is kind of weird when you think about it. Gerhardt and Provost have a lot in common. They're both 31 tall and have a penchant for plaid clothes, facial hair, and barbecue. They both wear Apple Watches and similar rectangular glasses. I don't wear my Apple Watch anymore, so that's actually false. <laughs> we should write a letter to the editor. <laughs> we are doppelgangers, it's true. Tom in a blue short sleeve dress shirt with white lightning bolts. Does most of the talking. Dan's more reserved, running his hands through his messy hair and clasping his hands together when he talks. Both laugh every time they realize how similar they are. So I just want to attest to the fact that the description of the two of you there, like that's perfect. I have one. I have one regret. Is he? He said clasping his hands instead of steepling his hands yeah when is... when he said clasping i knew the motion which is making the like the the pyramid shape right with your hands yeah. that's what you do yeah um but it was funny to read it because i was like oh my god it is that <laughs> yeah we do have the the pen and teller routine down pretty good yep. yeah yeah i just make lots of flailing motions and then dang swoops in with something uh intelligent it's pretty good or some sweet magic tricks yeah, we should do magic tricks. Be fun. You've already convinced me. <laughs> Tom, I really want to see this shirt, by the way. Uh, it is it is my favorite shirt. I like it a lot. Uh, and it's got lightning bolts on it. I should just wear it every day. What? When did you feel like when you were actually having this interview conducted, though? Like, Was it a fun experience? Was it a nerve-wracking experience? I... Uh, it wasn't really nerve wracking, but I remember thinking several times during it, what is the story here? <laughs> like, cause we were just talking <laughs> so, so conversationally and he wasn't, he wasn't like asking, you know, hard hitting questions or, or really, uh, kind of like digging, I guess, in a way that you may expect. Uh, so when it was all said and done, I was, I was more of just like, well, I hope. I hope he got what he needed because like, I didn't know, you know, what the story would be. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I, I'm glad that he did. Yeah. I, I, uh, I feel like just because we're so straightforward in general about our business that I, I mean, I figured he kind of, I mean, we kind of told him everything, 
Like, I, you know what I mean? I, I can't forget if there was any, like, off-the-record stuff, but I don't really even think so. And we kind of uh, told, yeah, told them stuff, like, everything. So, that, yeah, if there wasn't a story there, then there wasn't a story there. We're just boring, so. I went through this process a few months ago. Um, TechCrunch wrote a profile about us in August. And mm-hmm. I remember being terrified in between <laughs> the period of it of giving the interview and it being published because what you thought that like they would like expose you as a charlatan or something or like what's the why i was pretty confident that the guy who was conducting the interview was going to write something nice about us because he is a listener and he's been following us for a while so i had no fear that he was gonna try and like expose us for the frauds that we are but I was just like really worried that I'd said something wrong or like I'd said something that could be misconstrued as something else right? oh. like that it, and yeah. that it could, you know, be, it could misrepresent our business or upset someone or something like that. Like it was a, a thing that I was just a little, I was really nervous about it because I'd never done anything like this before, like talking mm-hmm. to a journalist about my business and we were kind of like, we were sharing some information that we hadn't shared before, like our monthly audience size and stuff like that and i was worried that people were going to see that and be like oh look at these guys who do they think they are you know like i never i just wasn't sure how it was going to come across yeah it was scary yeah we um i think early on we had a couple situations where we would talk to the press and Especially like it was like when early days with the glyph and Kickstarter when that was the kind of story like oh what's this Kickstarter, um, and yeah there was definitely situations where the press like just didn't get it or didn't get what we were saying and it seemed like dumb to talk to like do interviews because they just they had a narrative already set that they wanted to you know kind of say and they just kind of pulled quotes to like fit their narrative. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that feels crappy, um, a little bit, but I think in these situations where the journalist like knows and understands you and you are the story or you're like a part of the story, um, you're not just like a quote for them or something. I think that works really well, but, it, but it is true that like in general, uh, if the interviews are kind of just like passively done, it can kind of just things are get taken out of context really easily. So it gets kind of weird, but, um, yeah, that's cool. I mean, but I'm guessing I remember reading that and it didn't seem weird at all. Like, I don't think there was anything like you were happy with it, right? When oh, it we were was done. thrilled with it because initially the conversation was was being had as part of a larger piece that, that uh, the guy was writing about podcasting and the fact mm-hmm. that it's been around for a long time and it's not just all about serial. That was kind of like the original idea, but mm-hmm. then it turned into like a multiple thousand word profile which came out on our one year anniversary like it was mm-hmm. for us it was just kind of perfect like i i loved it and i actually want to read it again now because it was he did such a great job of of encapsulating us and what we were all about so when i was reading your article the the wired one um the kind of the the story as it were, the, the thread that Lent goes through it is that you guys were kind of the first and that you, in some ways, pioneered a lot of what we think about now. And there's a quote that I really liked 
this was actually from Kickstarter's director for design and tech communities, John DeMartos, and he says, back then it was brand new. By instinct, they created a lot of tropes on Kickstarter. How do you feel about that? Uh, well, uh, full disclosure, John is a friend of ours. <laughs> so, uh, but I think he's a little bit uh, correct in that a lot of the, it was really funny, a lot of the wording that was in our initial uh, video for the glyph, you know, like essentially a pre-order and phrases like that have, have just become kind of uh, just the way a lot of the Kickstarter stuff is done, which is interesting. Um, I think it was definitely after the first year or so at the initial Kickstarter, you could, you could very much see the influence of, of our uh, initial glyph campaign with, you know, the kind of product side of Kickstarter. But now, I mean, it's grown so much larger and beyond that stuff that I don't think it's even, I think maybe some of the tone we uh, kind of had in our initial videos has carried through, but anything specific is gone. And and people have done like way better. I, I mean, there's like, you know, millions of Kickstarter videos that are way better than ours. So, but yeah, I think it's, it does feel a little bit like uh, we definitely had some hand or influence on how things went and, uh, and that's cool. And we definitely, um, we definitely were talking with Kickstarter uh, in that first couple years about their direction and where they want to go. They would just like ask our opinion on things because we were in New York and we kind of knew the founders a little bit by then. And so they would kind of, um, you know, just kind of bounce things off us a little bit. And, you know, not that they would like super listen to what we had to say, but I think they were just interested in our, our perspective. So it does feel like we, uh, or at least to me, it feels like we had, you know, some influence a little bit, um, or at least some, you know, kind of input. Um, but, you know, really, for, you know, I think Kickstarter, that company is, it has such a good leadership and their head is on their shoulders so squarely and, and nicely and their hearts are in the right place that, you know, they, they're, you know, they don't, they don't need anything we have to say. I mean, they're, they got it, they got it figured out. Dan, do you, I mean, what do you think? Do you feel the same way? Yeah. I mean, I think early on the success of the glyph, uh, had both a a positive and negative effect. I mean, the positive stuff I, I think you spoke to where it was maybe kind of introduced this, I, you know, idea of, a crowdfunding a physical product to a wider audience and maybe even, you know, inspired some people to make some stuff and, you know, get that, that idea that had been sitting in a desk drawer somewhere, you know, try to bring it to life. Um, and I think all that is really good. And I think, you know, some of the tropes are probably good too, just because a lot of them were just like pretty clear and straightforward. So they were good things and kind of good templates to follow. But, uh, I think the negative side of it is just like the deluge of kind of crappy <laughs> like Apple related stuff that kind of flooded onto the site and the immediate aftermath. And uh, I think that was a fear of theirs is like, we don't just want to be the site where you go to, to crowdfund, I crowdfund iPhone cases. Um, and so that was maybe a little bit of the negative side where it's like, oh, hey, these two guys just had this idea and, you know, they're, they're riding on the coattails of like the popularity of Apple and Apple accessories and Apple products. You know, I can do that, too. And I think for a while there, there was just a lot of kind of half-baked Apple accessories 
Um, and so that was maybe, I don't know, a little bit of the negative side of it, but I think, you know, all in all, it's kind of evened out. Has anything interesting happened for you guys on the back of this profile? I, uh, I can't think of any, what Dan can, I mean, I don't really think so. No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, it was, it was just like a cool thing and it. It felt good, but I, I don't think it really drove a bunch of traffic necessarily or anything. My LinkedIn connections went up. Well, at least my requests <laughs> for them. I don't know if I have a LinkedIn account. <laughs> uh, that might be. I have all that turned off, so I don't even know <laughs> if that did anything. <laughs> but we're totally LinkedIn. How did your clout score do? Did that? Oh, it went for the roof. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, that's. I think that's the thing that um, I think is a big misconception in general. Like we've had, I think we've had a, we've been mentioned or like had um, some stories in the New York Times before and some other bigger publications. And people think like when that happens, like oh, you've made it, you're now like a rich star or whatever. Um, when it, when in reality, it basically just kind of, you know, those stories are for those publications. They're not for us and. That that effect is really evident. I mean, yeah, we might get some traffic, but it's usually not people who are interested in buying anything. They're just kind of maybe interested in us, and and so yeah. Uh, in general, I think it's been the trend that um, unless it's someone linking directly to a product, uh, that can definitely move the needle in some big ways. But if it's just like kind of a general interest story about us or something, usually it doesn't translate directly into like revenue or anything. But uh, and definitely. You know, having your name out there and having those connections be stronger and stronger and having more relationship with the press, all that stuff is really important. Um, but it's it's like a little bit, uh, it's kind of like what PR people do where they, you know, you give them a bunch of money to like kind of build up your presence, but it's not something that you can like directly point to as like, oh, this, you know, I got more revenue from this or I got X from this. So it is kind of like a dark art in a way, but um but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, I, you know, I got to believe it has an effect, but uh, n- not one that's like super obvious. What press does have an effect for you then? Because I'm sure that some does. I mean, I know that the, 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 the original link on Daring Fireball to the Glyph is kind of what started your business. Yeah, I was just going to say getting fireballed is basically the answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm only half joking when I say that, uh, that is by far the most kind of consistently, uh, you know, we see the spike in traffic and sales whenever that happens more than any other source. There are certainly other press outlets that can drive traffic as well. Um, but that's kind of the, uh, the big daddy of them all. Why do you think that is? It's just the nature of Gruber, I think, and how he has kind of cultivated his audience, you know, over uh, over a decade. And, um, you know, he, he's Oprah, basically. Like, he's a trusted uh, curator, for lack of a better word. So, and the, you know, we've, we've said this several times, but, you know, in the, in the same way Oprah can, you know, put the road on her, uh, you know, book of the month club or whatever it was called. And it, you know, and it just becomes a bestseller. Uh, he has that same kind of power where he's trusted 
to be recommending things that are quality and his and his taste is kind of unquestioned by his audience. So it, it's very rare uh, to have those sorts of um, kind of influential people in the press. And I guess there's no real way to find those people. Like as a person who wants to promote a product, you just have uh, to kind no, of hope there that is. Or... What, do you, what do you think then? Well, so, I mean, we, you know, initially with the glyph, like, Dan reached out to you know, during Fireball and John Gruber, right? So we knew that he was someone who is influential like that. Um, and there's, you know, other people like that. I think he is somewhat unique in his, like, scale and influence is maybe one of the more out there. But you can definitely find those people. Um, there may not be a ton of them, but they exist. And, you know, also we have beyond individuals, um, you know, Uncrate is a website that is usually really good for us in terms of revenue and, and linking from. Um, and I think that works uh, for us because it's also a pretty focused website. There's not a lot of noise. And the, you know, the audience is just like generally interested in the kind of stuff that we're interested in. So it just really works. So there's definitely really good fits, but it's not... Um, for instance, Swissmas, right, is a pretty big design blog. And our taste, like our visual taste and <clears throat> philosophical taste, like overlaps very much with Tina, who runs that site. Um, but posts from her don't usually generate revenue for us. Um, a lot of people come, but they don't buy. And I think it's just because a lot of people are looking on that website, not like in the mood to buy. So, you know, it's just kind of who the audience is. Um, but I think you can find, you can find them, um, we did have a problem, however, with Obi uh, and f- kind of finding that magic person uh, mm-hmm. or that magic group of people w- uh, in the press department. Yeah, I think one thing that was really fortunate for us is I, you know, I don't want to speak for Tom, but I was already like a super geeky, like into the, you know, Apple community in terms of subscribing to RSS feeds and following the Apple beat and, you know, following Daring Fireball before we ever did any of the glyph stuff. So I, you know, was already familiar with the tone of these sites and kind of the types of things they post and, and how they write about them. And I think that's super important. Uh, if you want to get press, you have to understand how the press operates basically and, and, and the types of things they write about. Um, and so I think for OB, that was one of our failings is we just, I don't follow any pet sites or, or pet news or, or anything like that. Um, and so we were kind of just like, you know, crawling in the dark, trying to find stuff. Whereas with other things, it was like, we were already embedded and we already understood it. So it was, it was easier to reach out to those people. And I guess in that same vein, um, you didn't change your style. So the style that you'd kind of developed and had kind of become part of yours through attrition. Oh, yeah. Was the style that you've used for all of your other products and and everything like that. And that might not have been the the right style when communicating. Exactly. Yeah. Different audience. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's actually somewhat rare, maybe, that, um, like, it is also true that, for instance, our general philosophy, design philosophy, taste, like, uh, 
is com- complementary to like John Gruber. Like that's just lucky, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it is also a little bit rare that there's you know a, a press entity who not only might be interested in your in what you're doing, but also has a similar taste to you. Um, so that's like really helpful. Um, but it is like I, I will like it is very important, right? That even if you might not have the exact same taste as the you know press person you're wanting to talk to, you at least understand theirs. Um, because it's, you know, these press folks get like thousands of emails a day, this like inbound, you know, solicitation. And um, if you know how to talk to them in a non-gross kind of way, according to them, non-gross, um, you can get, you know, really far. So even though like with Obi, we didn't have a relationship with a lot of the press that would cover that sort of thing, uh, you know, we would kind of try to, what I would do, uh, and like, I think what Dan would do too is, we would kind of get a feel for this kind of stories they write um, and what they're kind of interested in before reaching out to them so that we, you know, have a decent idea that, oh, they would be interested in this in general or, you know, this is the sort of thing that um, that they would be into. Because that's what they want, right? They, they're they looking for content. So if you can kind of provide them um, what they're looking for, it's like a win for everyone. So that's really the whole, I think that's yeah. the way we think about it. Um, and treating people with the respect to try and understand them rather than just sending them a blank email that you sent to everybody else, you know, like the same one to everybody. Exactly. Cause this is a relationship. I mean, yeah. like that's what all these press things are. Like it is a relationship and it's one of the most important relationships that we have for our business. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it is really important to not, you want to build a relationship with these people, especially like if they write about you, they're going to be more likely to do it in the future, right? So it's all about, um, you know, kind of mutual respect and and everyone kind of uh, getting value from, you know, that relationship and that sort of thing. So, yeah, we started we started a blog on our site. Um, I don't even remember when, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the idea of it was just to create content, we're content creators. God, I can't believe it. Uh, you know, to do interesting posts that uh, can kind of cover a variety of topics, either related to our products or tangentially related to our products or just random stuff that have nothing to do with our products. And uh, just it's another thing that people can link to. And then that's bringing people to our site and who knows, maybe they'll poke around a little bit. Um, because if we're only, you know, putting out one or two products a year, then that's very few, uh, opportunities for people to be visiting our site. Um, so the very first post we ever did, which is actually the most successful one we've ever done. And we've kind of been chasing that ever since (laughs) is just a breakdown of, um, how the time-lapse feature works in, in the, the built-in iOS camera app. Um, and that was a really fun post to do. And it made a lot of sense for us because, you know, we make the glyph, which is something you should be using if you're making time lapses. So there is like some, some synergy there. And, uh, and it was, it was totally like the type of post you could, you could find on an, on an iMore or something like that. But we just happened to be the first people to think to do it and then to actually kind of investigate and figure it out. Um, and so, yeah, we got some really great uh, 
traffic from that post and even I think quite a few sales because the post was so closely linked to like, oh, if you're interested in time lapse, then you might want this tripod mount thing. Um, so that is kind of the shining example of kind of the best of what the block can do for us. Um, and then, you know, since then it's just been kind of a, a hodgepodge of, of random things and, and we've kind of put it on the back burner a little bit, but I think we should, uh, it's something we, we shouldn't forget about because it can, it can be successful when it works. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I look at a lot of little companies, blogs, often they're like super internally focused. Um, and I think that's for us, uh, I think it makes sense we've kind of split things off to where we have this Gazette newsletter where we can be like internally focused and we believe that the people subscribing to that like actually care and want to know. And so we can kind of get that out of our system. And then I think for that kind of public blog side of things, it makes a lot more sense to kind of think of ourselves as like a news outlet or something where we are, you know, kind of writing up stories that are interesting about either the industry or the space or, you know, um, things in general with the goal of, you know, it getting syndicated, not like, oh, we have subscribers to our blog and they would be interested in this thing about our company or whatever. And I think that works really well, but it is hard to, unless you're really focusing on it, to, you know, come up with stories that are actually interesting and good. Um, but yeah, it's it's been really good. I think we've both been surprised uh, about how well it's done. And I mean, Dan, Dan really writes all of the posts, uh, almost all of them. So it's really been him generating that stuff. And yeah, I think we should, we have been kind of lax, I think because we've been doing this newsletter stuff, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's been good. Uh, but I would, I would, I think a piece of advice I would give is, um, if you can find an angle to tell a story that's not about you, but it's about kind of your perspective or your industry in general that people would want to pass around and syndicate. Like that's definitely, I think the thing that's going to be more valuable in the long run, um, rather than, you know, writing posts about, uh, you know, what kind of office chairs we use or something. Thoroughly Considered is a joint production between Relay FM and Studio Neat. If you'd like to find links and information for this week's show, head on over to relay.fm slash tc slash 10. Hey, if you enjoy the show, why not recommend it to a friend? Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.